Hello and welcome to this episode of Thrill of the Hill. My name is Alec Perry and this is the Farm Advisory Service series where we discuss the hot topics impacting the farmed upland environment. In today's episode of Thrill of the Hill, I'm joined by SAC Consulting's Head of Farm Accounts, Sasha Grierson, as we discuss the Farm Business Survey. We talk about the benefits and the history of the survey, as well as how it impacts policy making and what trends we can take for the farmed upland environment, as well as how to get involved. Hi there, Sasha. How are you doing? Very well, thanks, Alec. Good, good. No, I'm glad to have you back on Thrill of the Hill. Um, we were just talking before recording. I believe this is your second time on the podcast. Um, but uh, Sasha, no, welcome back. Did you have a good Christmas New Year? Absolutely. Very nice. Lovely break. But rearing to get into it. Something like that. Yes. <laughs> Sasha, for those listeners who maybe haven't heard from you on the previous podcast that we did, do you want to give us a bit of an introduction as to who you are and what the, the Farm Business Survey is? Sure. Thanks, Alec. Um, my name is Sasha Grierson. I'm a principal consultant at SAC Consulting in charge of the Scottish Farm Business Survey, or I should say in charge of the team that delivers the Scottish Farm Business Survey, which is a survey, a panel survey of 400 volunteer farms that delivers granular economic detail to the Scottish Government. And this economic detail is used for... Um, policy modelling and to help support Scottish Government policy decision making. We also measure um, whole farm carbon footprints in the survey and this is increasingly becoming a more a, a significant output of interest to both government but also from a sort of research and international point of view linking farm economics with farm greenhouse gas emissions this is a pretty unique thing that happens in Scotland internationally, and we're enormously grateful to our volunteer farmers who participate in the survey. And Sasha, how many people do you have working with you on a daily basis? Who's in your team and, and what, what are they doing? We've got a national team spread out across the country in four centres in Aberdeen, um, Ayr, uh, Forfar and uh, Edinburgh, and then we also have an outpost in St Boswell's in the borders, that uh, farming powerhouse in the borders that uh, uh, full of great cereal farms and various other livestock enterprises. Um, so we have about 16 people um, spread around doing this analysis all over the country. And Sasha, how is it that the Farm Business Survey came about? Why did Scottish Government decide that this was a worthwhile project? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, the history of the survey dates back to the 1930s in Scotland. Um, during the Depression era, there were genuine concerns about food security in, in many nations, um, particularly in the UK. And so these surveys were set up to try to track the um, economic, but, economic but also productivity performance of farms, uh, really as a as a measure of, of the food security picture in Britain. And then, of course, when we joined the European Union and the Farm Accounts Data Network was set up within the EU, um, and every EU member state had to contribute a, a set of economic, uh, of agricultural economic statistics, all done in a very similar fashion. 
to a central point, uh, which is FADEN, Farm Accounts Data Network. And that from that central point came insights that helped to inform the development of the common agricultural policy, which was over half of the EU budget. So the importance of these statistics um, uh, is there, there, it, it goes back a long way, and it also um, it, it delivers information um, for, for government to be able to make informed decision making. And Sasha, in the historical context, are there any kind of trends that you would you would say that uh, you've noticed in Scottish agriculture up to now? Oh gosh, um, well. If I had a spare week, I would spend quite a lot of time digging around in in the the various uh, statistical tables. With the advent of the of the web, obviously, um, uh, government has uh, published um, uh, data sets going back to I think about 2012, and there's some very interesting tables on the gov.scot uh, publications page for the Scottish Farm Business Survey, where you can track the economic change of farms, certainly over the last 10 years. Um, I wouldn't be able to comment on the, in any kind of granular way on trends in farming over the last 30 years. However, um, I have been, I, I am married to a farmer and have lived on a farm and have been a farmer myself for uh, 20 years um, from 2000 to to 2020, and the, the there's been huge change in in uh, the economic picture for Scottish farms, um, in certainly in the last 20 years, um, and definitely over the last 30 years. And I think there's something about the the kind of globalisation and corporatisation of agriculture that that has happened. Um, that is just inevitable. It's part and parcel of the corporatization of lots and lots of different um, professions in this country. And, and that has certainly had an impact on the, um, the, the revenues that farm, the economics on farm. Um, yeah, probably don't want to go into too, too much detail there, Alec. <laughs> And Sasha, this is Thrill of the Hill. So we're primarily interested in the farmed upland environment on the podcast. Can you describe what, what kind of benefits could an upland farmer get from participating in the farm business survey? Um, participation in the survey is voluntary. And um, however, we the, the data does go to Scottish government. We ensure that uh, every farm gets turned into a number. You are only a number to us in the survey and to Scottish Government, and we maintain that confidentiality very seriously. The, the, the outputs that come from the survey back to the farmer include a what we call a farm business report, and this is a set of very detailed granular uh, management accounts that detail all your input, um, input costs, your split into variable and fixed costs, and uh, it also details all your output. Even if you're if you have diversifications on farm, we'll we'll kind of factor that out and and call it a diversification fraction. And so you get this um, you get up to three years of economic data from your business uh, returned to you. Uh, obviously, not in year one when you start, but when we bring people into the survey, we like them to stay in for. For, for you know ten years or more, and we believe that the 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 measures that 
that come back out, the, the reports that come back out can be very useful to people. And we do have anecdotal evidence of people making quite significant business decisions based on the management accounting reports that they that we send back in the farm business report. Um, we also send people, uh, we also um, put each farm through um, through a carbon footprinting calculation in AgriCalc. And we do that in quite a unique way because we do it by quite cleverly. We don't go back to the farmer and ask you lots of questions about, about your energy usage. We actually calculate it from your original receipts and invoices. So, so that's a very robust measure that will be the same year on year. And so you can always rely on that, um, that, uh, that trend in, in your carbon footprint. So that's another useful output. And that's quite useful now in the realms of um, many um, industry audits that may say you're getting a, a, an inspection for your cattle for, to supply one of the, one of the processors. They often now will ask for uh, to see that you are um, demonstrating some sustainability credentials by measuring your car- your greenhouse gas emissions on farm. You'll be able to tick that box, and that's quite a useful exercise. Um, and not only that, policy is heading in that direction as well. And so, so, so that's a nice thing to be able to offer. It's not like it's a one size fits all. You'd still need somebody to give you some mitigation advice, but at least we will have done the kind of number crunching for you, and that that can kind of shortcut the process a bit. Um, We also give you a performance benchmark report. So if you are a mixed cattle and sheep farm in the upland environment and in the LFA environment, we have a group, we have a a category of farming type. We've got 52 farms last year that were mixed cattle and sheep farms. And you you get a report that compares your farm economic performance against those 52 farms and you can that are broken down into sort of sizes and sizes similar to your own so you get to do that thing that benchmarking thing where you can compare your performance to to other farms and and then obviously the next step is is that you compare your performance to your own business's performance year on year and that's the really powerful bit in the benchmarking piece because it's really every farm is unique. Every farm is different, and um, and so your context, your comparison year on year, is the thing that really should matter to you. And we've got some. It, there's um, on the fas.scot website. There's a whole farm benchmarks tool, and we'll, the link will be uh, in the show notes. You can go there, choose your farm type and size. There's some handy guides and some in, some articles for you to read on that page. And then, and you can just get started, and you can start comparing your own your own figures to 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 uh, to a group uh, a national average. So, Sasha, for anybody who's listening and might be interested in participating, what kind of capacity do you and your team have to collect this data from them? Is it quite a, a is it quite time demanding? I mean, how how do you find the process? For sure, um, we. Uh, if you wish to participate, you can get in touch. Um, we are looking for volunteers. We are looking for particular types of volunteers, and we're waiting for Scottish Government to give us their stratification um, of the kinds of farms that we need. But we're always, we've always been short of upland beef and sheep farms, upland livestock farms, um, because there are so many upland 
uh, livestock farms in Scotland. We need more of them in the survey. We know that for certain. And um, so basically you'd get in touch. We would get back in touch with you. We'd allocate you to an analyst, one of our team, and they would explain the process to you. It usually involves um, a couple of hours of your time and for us to gather some data from you in the form of your um, your annual accounts, usually in digital format, and then, then information about your balance sheet that can come from your accountants and your kind of year-end valuations. Um, we do realize this is really sensitive information, and our analyst team are absolutely fantastic at being um, treating your information very confidentially. There's never any scrutiny or, or um, of that information or of the results, unless you would like to have a little bit of scrutiny. And then we can, we can discuss that with you once we've processed your, your, your data. So it's, it's designed not to be onerous. There is quite a lot of paperwork to get going, but we can usually try and shortcut that process um, from our analyst team. And Sasha, something that the listeners will be very interested in knowing is how much does this process cost? This process costs nothing. We are enormously grateful for you, to you for, for um, allowing us access to your information. And we aim to make it as seamless as possible. And we hope that the, the outputs that you get would help you to scrutinize your business and to perhaps be of use to you in, in any kind of economic comparison. Say you'd be looking for cost savings on your variable costs, for example. You maybe have an instinct that you're maybe feeding, spending too much on feed. Um, that can help you see how much too much you might be spending on feed or could end up reassuring you that you're actually in the top 25% of performers. So, so this, is, um, this allows you to kind of see where you are because often farmers, we're farming in isolation. You know, we're out there doing our thing and it's hard to make the time to go out to meetings or whatever so that we can get a little bit of scrutiny on our business or bringing somebody in externally can be difficult, costly. Um, so the survey can offer you a bit of insight without it, with just taking a little bit of your time and not costing you any money. And the other thing to remember about all of this is that your accounts data, it's your information and it can be really powerful and help you drive some really good decision making in your business and can be a really good reason to sit down around the table and go, what's going on? And sort of drilling into the numbers and trying to sort of figure them out in a, in a, in a meaningful way. Sasha, I know that you're familiar with Robert Ramsey. We just had him on the other day to record a podcast on what the cow of the future looks like. And uh, in that podcast, I posed the question to Robert, you know, what are some of the barriers to people operating in the uplands um, in terms of getting innovation on farm? And his big answer was essentially tradition and cost. The farm business survey strikes me as a really good way of jumping over one of those barriers. Would that be fair to say? Gosh, that's interesting. That's an interesting take, actually. Do you mean as in looking at, um, you know, that, that farming in the upland, people have less access to capital to invest? 
Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, specifically in comparison to the likes of your arable farms or your, or your dairy farms. For sure. I think when you look at the most recent set of figures, when you look at the trends over time, and I'm looking at the graph in front of me from, from the annual government publication, you can see very clearly that the livestock farms in the upland area are probably, you know, the LFA livestock farms, they don't have the turnover that, um, or, or indeed the profitability that the um, that you know perhaps your dairy farms, or although they've had their fair share of problems, let's be honest, and the investments required are much bigger in a dairy farming or especially cereal farming situation. But you're absolutely right. There's a there is a the 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 LFA livestock farms have traditionally had much lower farm business incomes, which is the sort of equivalent figure we use for net profit. And therefore, it is hard to see how how there is that capital for reinvestment. And so, what does that then become? If you don't have the capital to reinvest, what is it as an upland farmer that you really need to think about? How do you get round that? You know, because the the data is there; it shows us what what's happening. And so, what's what's the mechanism to get round that? Is it the we need to think about other income streams for our business. Is it that um, we need to think about perhaps perhaps uh, farming a little less, but farming a little smarter? Certainly, the there is a whole new market opening up for upland farmers about farming for nature, and grazing livestock can really support that if managed in the correct way. And so there's a there's an education piece there. Perhaps for us, Alec, you know, if we look to what we should do to support this and also where where government can offer support, it's not just about money. It's about rethinking how we do it and how we farm. Sasha, you kind of gave a little bit of an overview there of how farmers in the uplands are performing with relation to the to the survey. But um, I'd just be curious, can you drill down into that a little further? I mean, what is the outlook for, for farmers in the uplands? I think it's interesting. I think f- for me, um, I was looking at this before we came on. And um, when I look across the picture uh, in the last year's set of data, which admittedly is a, is a little bit out of date um, because Farm, farm, and um, agriculture. Well, government statistics are always published about six months after the fact, and and we gather the data for another six months after the fact. So, this data is up to May 2021, and um, it, so so it's a little bit out of date. But the trends are, are there. You know, the line is very very flat, um, in. And all these figures are adjusted for inflation. So in 2012, it looks like livestock farms haven't seen any significant increase in their in their farm business income. You know, the 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 dairy sector and the cereals and even mixed farming types have seen quite a significant uptick in the last year and had really some very good years, sort of 2017, 2018. Um, whereas the livestock livestock farms have have a generally flat picture and that's maybe something to do with the fact that they have um they are increasingly reliant on on subsidy payments in order to to maintain any kind of profitability um when i look at the actual numbers 
in up to May 2021, specialist beef uh, LFA farms had a range of profitability from £10,000 to £35,000. Now, that's not a huge amount of money, given that there's a significant amount of family labor going into that. And also that I don't know what the price of a tractor was in 2021, but you know, if you're farming, you need a tractor. That's as, it's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what kind of farming you're doing. Maybe if you're on the hill, you can do without it with specialist sheep farms. But, you know, the cost of a tractor has significantly gone. Is, is to reinvest in the cost of a tractor, even a secondhand tractor or a smallish sized one, you know, that amount of money, you're going to struggle to find that. It's that simple. Um, and our farm business income statistic includes subsidy, any support payments that the farmer has received. So it includes BPS. So Sasha, you've given us a bit of an overview of what the farm business survey entails, but I wanted to drill down a little more into what some of the figures are telling us about the upland sectors. Can you give us a bit of an overview? How are farmers doing when you're looking and investigating the last completed data set? Yes. Um, when I look across the three LFA farming, LFA livestock farming types, um, it seems like the, the specialist sheep producers are having a particularly difficult time. There has been, in, in this year, there was a right, there was a small but very, very obvious up to 5% rise in input costs. And the specialist sheep producers were not able to absorb that. And so their farm business income actually went down, which would suggest to me that suggests that perhaps those those farms are they're maybe not um they may be paying more for their inputs than other farms, bigger farms, more central farms that are able to get deliveries easier, uh, manage their cash flow easier. You know, th there are all sorts of costs that go with farming in remote areas or just running a business in remote areas. And that may be what's going on there. But their, their minimum, their variability ranged from £3,000 profit to £21,000 profit. And that's including support payments. So that sounds, that's pretty that's pretty tight, you know, to be able to reinvest on that basis in order to modernize. And it comes back to Robert Ramsey's question about, about uh, you asking Robert Ramsey about what the barriers are. That's, that's a barrier, is having the income to be able to reinvest because people need to live as well. And they need to be able to live well enough. And I don't think anyone's farming to live a luxurious lifestyle, but um, but yes, they need to be able to live well enough. And then when you go up into the mixed cattle and sheep sector and up into the specialist beef sector, the numbers get a little better. The mixed cattle and sheep, the, the boundaries are quite uh, much tighter, around about 22 to £29,000 farm business income. And um, that's not the minimum and maximum. That's kind of like a, a, a range where most of the farms will be in. In the specialist beef farms, the range is a little wider from 10,000 to about 35,000 pounds. But even on those numbers, when a, a second, a halfway decent secondhand tractor costs upwards of 50,000 pounds and you need a tractor to farm, um, maybe the specialist sheep people can get away without it. 
you know, reinvesting in a tractor every five years in order that you don't spend your entire life in the, in the workshop fixing it, that's going to be, that's going to be challenging on those numbers. Sasha, you just touched on something that's quite interesting there. I was going to ask you about how crofting plays into the farm business survey and if you're getting very many crofting clients or farmers um, in remote areas coming to you, but you did touch on the difficulties with farming in remote locations. What kind of geographical reach does the farm business survey have when we're looking at this data? That's really interesting. Um, That's a very good question. Um, I think this is a data gap. The, uh, the genuine the economics of crofting. Um, in the survey, we have a minimum farm size. It's approximately £20,000 worth of turnover. That's just, a, I'm cutting short a whole long um, lot of statistical um, stuff. It's about £20,000. Um, and so we're probably, we're not catching crofters in the survey. And that's a deliberate thing. Um, and by the same token, we do have a, a bit of an upper limit, and there are indeed some very large farming businesses in 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 Scotland, uh, and we we probably don't capture a, a lot of them. Um, on the crofting side of things, I think it would be of genuine a genuine interest to 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 have the resources to be able to do a, a crofting. An economics of crofting survey, and we have the methodology here, but I think that's one that we would um, put out there as a as a discussion point, um, because you know crofters and crofting occupy quite a significant portion of land in Scotland, and I think the environmental and economic metrics that we gather in the survey could be quite well suited to um, gaining more insight into. The, those impacts of, of crofting. And Sasha, you talked a little bit about the integration of a carbon audit into the Farm Business Survey, but increasingly Scottish government and, and various other groups have indicated that we need to be taking a kind of broader approach and in incorporating um, nature conservation value and natural capital is a big discussion point right now. Do you see us getting to a point with the farm business survey whereby that kind of data could also be captured? Or do you think that we're some ways off that yet? I think I think we're some ways off it, but it's absolutely right up there. Number, uh, Not number one priority, but that would be a, a, an amazing um, use of the survey. Why are we so far off it? Because it's very difficult to measure. And there's, if we think that the carbon science around measuring carbon footprinting is quite new, well, boy, oh boy, measuring nature is, it's definitely not impossible. And there are definitely lots of people, clever people thinking about how to do this in a meaningful manner. And it's certainly happening on farm and is very much moving beyond the trialing stage and into a, um, into, uh, into being more kind of mainstream. And it's being driven by, by markets, by, by financiers and money, because, because, because nature does have a value. Um, but it's pretty wild west out there. So we need to be super careful about it. 
But yeah, definitely. I think the survey is absolutely ideally placed to be able to incorporate some form of verified, standardized nature audit within it. And it would certainly really address that three-legged stool, Robert Ramsey's three-legged stool of farming for economics, nature, carbon, and, and, and understanding the interaction between all three of those things. It struck me earlier on, Sasha, we were talking about the economic performance and the, the financial performance of these uh, different farming types. You know, you could look at some of those results and be quite pessimistic about the future of the upland sector in Scotland. But then we've just had a really, you know, you, you've just covered some really great stuff in terms of what the, the nature conservation opportunities are within the Farm Business Survey. And it does strike me that there, there's a bit of an untapped reserve there and that we can, if you like, pivot the narrative away from something that's quite negative to here is a huge opportunity for the sector. Yeah, I, I, I think there's definitely something in what you say. You know, we're measuring in the survey, we're primarily measuring money. And, you know, guess what? Money is properly important. Of course it is. And we have to respect it and we have to understand it. But there is definitely an understanding that, and I think it's more than just, uh, than just government. I think there's an understanding that in Scotland, certainly, we're sitting on enormous nature asset building potential because we do have, we are a rural country. And guess what? We have a fairly temperate climate. We can grow grass. We can grow trees. You know, we're, we're incredibly lucky. We've got enough water to be able to do all sorts of amazing things with our landscape, as well as grow food. And I think, you know, we mustn't forget that in all of this, that we do need to grow food and we also need to have vibrant rural communities. It's a properly challenging ask, you know, to do all these things. And people say, oh, it's very difficult. But, you know, if you don't actually think about the difficult, you can kind of, you, then you never begin to make any progress towards it. Um, in many ways, the survey is a monitoring exercise and gives us data and information that give us insights into the impact of various changes in our world. And there's a lot of noise as well around the survey data. You know, we're going to be, this year we're about to, Scottish Government is about to report on the data up to the end of May 2022 which takes into account that, that sort of the first part of the significant uplift curve in agflation. And then next year, this year, this data gathering year, we're going to report on the rest of that curve. And so there's all that sort of geopolitical economic noise going on. But, but we have to, we can't not measure things. We have to measure these things in order to be able to manage them. And so I suppose government through the survey is measuring in order to manage. And what we're offering to our farmers for taking part is that they too can get some outputs where they can measure and manage from their point of view as well. So, so I, mean, I, I, I mean, I love this project. I think it's a great project. I think it's got huge potential to deliver real insights. Um, it already does deliver real insights. 
and it also delivers good information back to farmers. And I think there's something, there's one last thing to touch on is the potential for diversification in the survey. Um, continually, year on year, farms that um, diversify show an increased increased profitability. They have an increased farm business income. That's been a really solid trend since about 2012. And these diversifications, they're not huge things. They're often, you know, renting out a shed or for people to store caravans or, um, I don't know, some 28-day campsites on farm, that kind of thing, just giving that extra few thousand pounds. And if we've learned one thing through the pandemic, it's that getting out and about in our own natural world is a really um, – has been a really desirable and, and lovely thing to do. And I think there's something there about opportunity for the uplands. That's brilliant, Sasha. Before uh, before we wrap up the podcast, I did want to get a sense from you. Where do you think the upland sectors are going in the future? I mean, you, you've looked at some of the data sets for, for um, 2022. Where do you see performance um, and, and the economics of these businesses going as we move into 2023? What challenges do you think they're going to have? And uh, what support do you think that they'll need? Wow. Don't hold back, Alec. That's a big question. <laughs> um, I think it is, I think it's really tough. I think livestock, you know, these upland livestock farms are under the cosh from, from, from all sides. There's the lack of significant profitability in order to, to be able to reinvest. <clears throat> there, is, um, there is the continual noise about, you know, keeping cows is killing the planet and all that kind of stuff, which we know is a much, much more nuanced piece. I think what's really positive is that even in the last two years, I feel the narrative has shifted from we've got to manage our carbon to we've got to manage our carbon and our nature. And that's the biggest opportunity. The consciousness that we're losing our insect po population or our, um, you know, our lower orders of species and the consciousness that soil health is really important, the, di the diversity of life below the ground that we never we don't we're only beginning to have the conversation about i think these are things that are very hopeful for the upland sector because the upland sector has lots of nature it has lots of nature and it has lots of potential to restore nature through a range of different mechanisms there's peatland restoration that's maybe happening on a bigger scale the challenge is is to try and stay farming if you want to stay farming in the upland sector and to be able to to take advantage of the nature that you have in a meaningful way that delivers some sustainable development for your business but every business is different and they have you have to do what you what's right for you in the area that you are you know in your upland area it may not be very beautiful and you may not have, you know, beautiful views out over the sea and a, you know, a beach five miles away. So you could put up some pods and welcome customers, welcome people onto your farm for self-catering accommodation. But it may well be that renewables are your thing. 
that you'll be able to take advantage and 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 to be able to do some on-farm generation of electricity and add batteries to that who knows uh, or that just you have a you have peatland to restore and that's going to be the thing that will will drive will support your business so that you can stay doing what you're doing because lots of people are farming because they really like farming and that's really important to recognize um, and has value in itself Somewhere right now, Sasha, Rachel Smiley and the Natural Capital podcast team, their ears are burning because a lot of that falls very nicely into into a natural capital conversation. Um, Sasha, I appreciate that uh, that we've had you on the podcast this afternoon for for a little while now. Um, If you were to put out one final pitch to encourage people to join and participate in the farm business survey what would you say i'd say that sometimes you can get bogged down and don't be afraid of scrutinizing the money in your business it may look very unpleasant to start with but scrutinizing the money in your business helps you to manage the money in your business your accounts data is is your data. It doesn't belong to the accountant. It belongs to you. And it can give you really valuable information about the impact of your decisions on farm. It's difficult to do sometimes sitting down with family members and having a tough conversation about money, but do it. Get the habit and then and the survey can help you do that. The outputs from the survey can help you do that. And potentially in conjunction with a little bit of advice from an advisor as well, whoever you choose to use, it can help you. Um, so basically, what gets measured gets managed. Don't be afraid to manage the money in your business. And also try to see what you have as uh, what you have in your business that you can that, that can be assets for you to develop. And not to develop to ruin them, but to develop to enrich them and thereby deliver an additional income stream for you and your business if that's what you decide you need. Brilliant. Sasha, thank you very much for joining us for Thrill of the Hill this afternoon. It's been really good to sit down and chat with you. I normally end the podcast with um, some variation of the question that goes, what innovative practice or new idea have you seen that you want to spotlight? But actually, I think this entire episode has been spotlighting the work of the Farm Business Survey and the work that you and your team have been doing. Um, so I'll, uh, we can avoid that question um, and uh, I'll draw this to a close. But on behalf of the Farm Advisory Service, thank you very much for joining us. How do people get in touch with you and your team, Sasha? You can email us at Scottish Farm business survey or one word at sac.co.uk and just say i'd like to join the survey and give us a telephone number that would be great brilliant sasha grierson thank you very much thank you alec that's super thanks so much for joining us for this episode of thrill the hill if you enjoyed listening please like subscribe and follow this podcast Leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can find all our details at the bottom of our show notes below.
the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.